Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to All Music Movies, a part of the All Music Podcast series and a companion podcast to All Music Books Deep Dive. Here, we explore music films and documentaries rather than books, and there are so many great ones, old and new. In fact, these days, there seems to be a new music film or documentary every week, so we're very excited to explore this area. I'm your host, Steve J. so grab your popcorn, sit back and relax, enjoy the show. Let's talk music documentaries and films. Hey, everybody. As you know, we've been providing some bonus content for some of our podcasts when it's available. Unfortunately, for the Michael DeBar movie, Who Do You Want Me To Be?, and our conversation with J. Elvis Weinstein, we didn't have much material. Luckily, Michael DeBar himself agreed to come on and talk a little bit about the movie and himself. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely delighted to be with you and talk about the movie, you know, because we're so proud of it. <laughs> it's a great film. I've watched it now three times. Oh, Lord. No, no, that's good. Um, tell us how you met director J. Elvis Weinstein. Working on a show, you know, uh, as an actor, and he was a writer-producer. And because of the enormous uh, downtime that you have when you do those things, we're on the set, we talk. We like each other. We have the same frames of reference here. He's a really smart guy. And we thought, let's, uh, you know, let's write a book. As he probably told you, but we scrapped that idea because, he, he you know, I'm too demonstrative to be just on a page. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to do the doc, and we did, and seven years later, we had it. And then Stevie shows up, and he sees it, you know, and he says, well, where am I? I mean, you know, where's the ending of this? You know, there's no ending here because I got onto Little Steve's Underground Garage, but the movie that Josh had made was done. So we, uh, Stevie came to LA and we shot Stevie's stuff and uh, it all made sense, you know? So, I mean, the bottom line of this is that Josh is a brilliant man and he really understands the workings of what we do. I wanted to be tremendously honest therefore i needed to trust somebody i mean many people have said to me mdv let's do a documentary you know because of all the things that one has done not that they've been platinum but they've been magic he knew what he wanted and i knew that he knew what i wanted to say 
And it's interesting. I'm assuming the book would have been a biography of some type, but you certainly present much better live and on film. Your presence, you know, on social media is so much fun to follow. And you mentioned how open that Weinstein was about making this. He said in our interview with him, there were no boundaries. So I have to ask, was there any fear or hesitation for you about what that might produce? I've never been scared of anything except um, Jerry Lewis movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, and there's no fear here. You can't do what I've done but be fearful. You know, you have to believe that you are Elvis, you know, or, or and, and not Elvis Weinstein. <laughs> as much as I adore him, you've got to feel good about yourself. This is the, what I say every day. If you love yourself, you will be loved. And, and that's not narcissism. You know, that's just common sense to me. You've got to be proud of what you do and want to go out there and play music or act or whatever it is, or be kind or fall in love or any of these things you've got to be convinced that you know who you are therefore you know what you're going to get into and what you want to provide people with which is honesty and love and compassion kindness all of those things i didn't have as a child Mm. so therefore i had a one step uh, ahead of everybody because i might not have had parental units but i had the idea that i needed to love myself because nobody else was loving me and it's a very you know i mean i don't want to get too psychological about it but it taught me a great deal Uh, of, uh, you know, really going out on your own and doing it. And you really don't need anything other than yourself to really get things done. Yeah, you had a great quote in the movie where you talked about you've been operating off of your vibe for years. It was one of the the quotes that stood out for me because you are very honest in the film and very honest on social media. That's the best caption I can see, you know, and uh, that's what you do. I do have to ask, though, you did not see a cut of this movie finished. So... I'm assuming you're happy, but how did you feel? Did you feel all those things that you just mentioned when watching the movie about yourself? I fell in love with myself again. <laughs> I dated myself that evening. Um, you know, the vibe about this is, is you, you know, it is what it is. I, I've never really done anything in my life that I've thought, oh gosh, it could have been this, it could have been that and that. Should I really talk about women? There's no limitations. Look, the, the world that we live in right now is such a mess and so divided and so unequal. Uh, you know, I always say vision, not division, you know. And if I'm going to look at this movie and see what I did and see what I didn't do or, you know, did not sell quadruple platinum records, you know, then I'm a schmuck. I, I'm watching and seeing what is rather than what I want it to be. And everything that he put in that movie is true. And I stand by it. And I don't, I never ask for anything to be taken out or put in. I mentioned to Josh the opening of the movie. There's so many celebrities that were absolutely, you know, ready to get on camera and speak. You have a big personality. You seem to surround yourself with big personalities, including your ex-wife, Pamela, who wrote, in my mind, one of the definitive rock books. Was there any competition or jealousy between... Between us? Uh, between you, between this group of very, very famous people, is it... No, absolutely not. It's not a competition. Mm. If it is, I'm number one. <laughs> And if it really is, then we're all number one. We're all number one. We're all double platinum, man. You know, it's no competition. This is this is a life lived. You know, you breathe in and out, and you get, you know, and you make love, and you you know enjoy food and art and life. And there's no, you know, I think the Stones were better than the Yardbirds. I'm only saying that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, come on. To to compare it, compare what is it? What is the phrase? Comparison is odious. Hmm. 
And that's true. I'm not in competition with anybody. And if I am, I'll win. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we all win. We all break that tape and we're all number one. Well, I have to say that yours and Pamela's Trivial Pursuit Night sounds like perhaps the best night ever. <laughs> but I can't imagine that everyone won. Uh, what we did it every night, every Friday night for a couple of years, you know. So uh, the victories were the jokes, you know, because I mean, you got Bob Dylan in there, and you got Warren Beatty, and you got, and you know who they all adored the most, Steve Jones. Oh, really? Interesting. Steve Jones is one of the smartest people I know, and when we met him, you know, and he lived with me and his family and our kid, he couldn't read or write. So think about that. What is education? It's life itself, and he lived a very, very interesting life as a, as a young and His book is brilliant, Lonely Boy. It's now been made into a, a six-hour miniseries with uh, Danny Boyle at the helm, and it is a hell of a story. So, you know, those nights were wonderful because what one saw was the real them rather than the PR them you know, the publicity people who, who frame them in, the, in a certain way. So there was a great freedom to those, because we had a little house in Santa Monica, it was Don's house. And when he went to do Vice, Don Johnson, he went to do Vice, then we, you know, he said, take the house. So it was a very small house packed with these, these extremely successful people that could forget and leave at the door their success. That's interesting. We spoke with uh, an author of a book on Pearl Jam, and he happened to say that Eddie Vedder met Bob really early on, and he gave him the advice, don't read your press. Is that fair? No. Again, what do you mean? You know, what what is fair? Mm. There's no fair or unfair. You either read it or you don't. If you want to read it, read it. If you don't want to read it, don't read it. You know, whatever it is, it's probably bullshit. But the thing is, man, you know, you, you, you can't get wrapped up in what people think about you. You know, Eddie Vedder is one of the purest writers. His, his new album, Earthling, it comes out next year. You know, I've been playing it on my show. And it's fantastic. And I adore him. But in terms of Dylan, Dylan is a guy who does not want to wear the mantle of being the voice of his or any other generation, just doesn't want it. So he had to do with an awful lot more than I ever have. (laughs) When he was young, he would just be very dada about it, very surreal about his answers. And, you know, when they said, you know, how would you describe yourself, Bob? He said, I'm a song and dance man. You know, so you know when it was funny, and then then, but then it became. What do you mean? Would you would you ask the Beatles that question? You know, then he got angry. You know, I, I get frustrated, but I don't get angry about it. It's you know, it's it's an absurd world to believe the press or anything that anybody writes about you. So how is Bob a trivial pursuit? He's Bob Dylan. <laughs> he's good at everything. You know, I mean, he's a he's a brilliant man. Yeah. You know, obviously a brilliant man. He had a, I remember, you know, he would answer questions with a better answer than anybody else in such a unique and careful way. You really study him, and one, of course, had to, was that he waits. And then he responds. Hmm. Most people go, so what about Christmas? Well, Christmas to me is, I mean, you know, boom, you know, they're already off and running, but he's he's a thoughtful man. Hence, these extraordinary songs came out. It was so true, so true and so surrealistic and brilliant to know. That's because he's thinking about it. 
he's figuring out an answer that will make sense rather than, uh, you know, looking for applause. You're listening to All Music Movies, part of the All Music Podcasts and Pantheon Media. We're speaking with Michael DeBar, who is the star and subject of the documentary film Michael DeBar, Who Do You Want Me To Be? The Trivial Pursuit Night was just a really, really nice little story in there. And there's a couple of other things I wondered if you might want to think about or shed some light on. And you mentioned one of them. So a gigolo? Yeah, I mean, you know, you do whatever you can. As a youngin in London, it was the same thing when I was a teenager, you know, because I didn't have a mum and dad, and therefore my dad was in jail, my mother was in the loony bin. God bless them both. They're long gone now. I never knew them. And I had to survive, man. Mm. I was put into these boarding schools from 8 to 16, and I stayed in the schools. The other kids went home. I didn't have a home, you know. Mm. And so I stayed there. So I very early on learned how to deal with myself. And there was a lot of sort of masturbatory, homoerotica going on in these boarding schools. A lot of that stuff was happening um, and probably still is. And the vibe of it was I learned how to deal with it. I learned how to kick somebody in the head and I learned how to understand what was in his head. And so when I got to London and I'm 16, you know, hey, <laughs> you got to survive. Man. Well, you've done a great job of surviving on, on so many levels. Your band Detective, who I saw open for Kiss in Florida with producer Peter Spire in 1978. I can't believe it. That's where you were at that time. Um, and you guys were signed to Led Zeppelin's label, Swan Song, and put out, I think, a record or two. But there's a publicity picture from the Beverly Hills Hotel that's caused a lot of uh, friction, I guess. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting you should ask me that question. Today is Zeppelin's 50-year, fourth album came out today, 50 years ago. And I, I just uh, got hold of his his beautiful wife, Scarlett, and, and to, to remind them, <laughs> you know, this incredible thing. Jimmy Page, where do you even begin, you know? I don't know. Um, Jimmy's brilliant. And also we've been through, all of us have been through, shall we say, battles with certain substances that, uh, you know, have been rather difficult to conquer. And I say no more. I'll leave the rest of your, your uh, audience's imagination. Perfect. That answer leads nicely to Jay Elvis calls you, quote, a master of the ability to commit to the new thing fully. That certainly appears to be true. So how did you develop that skill? Was it growing up? You know, adaptability in the past year or year and a half or so has been, everybody's had to do it and some with more success than others in terms of this new world we live in. So how, how did you learn to do that? Was it the upbringing that you had or just innate? I mean, the moment, you know, I was very lucky because when I was in the schools, the one thing that I did have that probably was an advantage to my growth and maturity as, as, a, as an intellect was that I read every book in the library. Baudelaire, you know, Aeschylus, Oscar Wilde, Jack Kerouac, all, all of it. I, I absorbed it like a sponge. And I realized that the way into the reality of life was to live in the moment. I can't question what is happening. I have to accept what is. So that made it a lot easier. I found enormous discipline at my disposal to be able to deal with that. You know, I, I do the show from home, my little Stevens Underground Garage show, which is on every day, you know, for three hours, Monday through Friday, Sirius XM Channel 21. If you guys want to listen, you'll like it. 
I go deep. I talk about Otis Redding, but I, I'm not just talking about how great a singer he was, you know. I, I just accept what is, and I, I learned that lesson very early from Krishnamurti, the great philosopher, and he really does expand and expound on the notion of dealing with what is rather than the way you want it to be or the way you think it is. You know, you deal with what is happening, and uh, that will help. I think also, from an outsider's perspective, it seems like you have an enormous amount of curiosity. Josh also mentioned that as a comedian, he would watch you interacting with everyone around you, and you'd tell them what you did, and it would be kind of different stories depending upon what they did, but you always would follow up to them with, how about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's a very good question, and what I do is I, I have so much to offer in terms of literature and stuff that I know that then when you find yourself expounding on all of this and suddenly I'll stop and go, wait a minute, what about the person you're standing with? You, you know, let, let's hear what they have to say because you are going to learn something. No matter what they say, I'm going to learn something from it. So, uh, yeah, I, I love to tell stories. There's a lot of stories there, but I also like to hear them. And I also like to know who I'm working with. Right. You know, in terms of a crew, I really make friends with that crew. The second day of filming, I know everybody's name. And that, that's very, very important, especially being in 72 bands. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to know these people and, or, um, or at least let them know that you want to know who they are. And they're not just there to you know, prop you up. Without the crew, I mean, after this Baldwin disaster, Mm. you really understand how important it is to know what's going on on that set. Well, it's not just the physical. It's also the emotional emotionality of those people and how they feel and what they need and all of that. That's just stuck with me since I was a kid. But then, you you know, I've, I've been acting and doing these things since I was eight. Uh, you know, one way or another, commercials, photographs, whatever it is, you know. And so I'm 73 now, so I should know what I'm doing you know, <laughs> right now. Yeah. Well, I'd also like to extend it to your positive presence on social media, especially Twitter, where I follow you, as do a lot of people. I was amazed by how many people engaged you, but also how many you engaged right back. And it's always on that positive note. And you tend to make some sort of critique. You just give a positive answer and move on. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not there to for theatrics or publicity. I don't need any of that. Uh, you know, I've done really well and I don't need to have an audience. I really don't need to have an audience. And I think that that's the key to it. Man, you know. And if somebody's in pain, what, well, I'm going to ignore it? Also, you know, I'm not Justin Bieber, you know, and I'm only using him or Harry Styles or anybody or the Queen. You know, they've got a lot of followers. (laughs) So it's very difficult for them to say, well, Phil, I think you should go and really learn how to, you know, sing and you'll be, you know, get an instrument and you'll be okay. They can't do that. I can do that. You know, I'll do that. I answer as many questions as I can, and I don't get to answer all of them. It'd be impossible. But anybody that, you know, I really do my best to answer because how awful it would be if Steve says to me, did you enjoy doing our podcast? And I didn't respond. <laughs> that would make you feel like horrible. And so when someone asks me a question, it's an awful thing not to answer. I want people to feel good because right now, the world that we live in, we need people that care. We need kindness. Mm. And kindness takes courage, compassion. And those are the words that I live by today. 
that and, uh, you know, a good diet and some great clothes. <laughs> well, you do have great clothes. And, and if people want to check you out on Twitter, I found it fascinating because sometimes you're there, you know, with a Les Paul and ripping it up and doing some new things. And there, there's always something going on. And Twitter perhaps fits your in-the-moment vibe perfectly. Instagram, too. You know, I, I think Instagram is really great. The key to all of this is, uh, for me anyway, is don't pretend to be something. You know, th there's a lot of pretense there. And, and how that would be physically manifest is in filters. Okay, so here I am. You know, I've been around for centuries, and I'm not going to use a filter. You know, I might use effects and stuff like that to make it interesting. You see these middle-aged actors and actresses, and they absolutely don't look like themselves mm. anymore. And I find that Android frightful. I mean, they look like aliens and they all look the same. You know, I'm not going to mention any names. You know full well who I'm talking about. Men and women who just have this shit shot in their faces to look what? To look what? I mean, we're, we're, look like each other? <laughs> so, you know, there's a great beauty, I find, in every age. And uh, there's, a, there's a certain sort of, I think, wonderful, miraculous vibe of people that are older that have stayed, shall we say, fit. If you follow me, then you, you know that I work out a lot and I, you know, ride that bike and I do that thing and I eat and I drink water and I, you know, all these things because I enjoy and love life. And I just abhor the notion of faking it on, on any social media. So Instagram is really cool. I just let them into my life. I show them my house, my garden, my, my beautiful wife, my cats. <laughs> then, they, then they get to know you. Right. They get to know you're not some idiot on a pedestal with, with, with pigeon shit on your forehead. Yeah, I can't imagine you'd be that guy, but uh, especially because your clothes are too nice. I will say, you know, the reason we had you on the show again was for your fabulous movie, Michael Debar, Who Do You Want Me To Be? I don't think I've ever met anyone who watched it who just wasn't amazed at you and your story and your career. As a final question, I wanted to ask, you seem to take advantage of every opportunity when others might hesitate and you've accomplished so much. Are there any boxes unchecked? No, there's no boxes. There's no boxes. What box? Could you show me a box right now? Just pick it up from under the table and say this box. There's no boxes, ladies and gentlemen. I have just this feeling of here right now, talking to you, being as honest as I possibly can, and that's it. So I don't want to think that I have to achieve <laughs> I never have felt like that. Mm. I've never felt like, oh, I've got to play the forum. You know, I played the forum yeah, 20 times. You know? I, you know, I got to be at Live Aid. I was at Live Aid. It's, it's just interesting, though, to answer your question. Believe in yourself and you will be at Live Aid. Because who could predict that Robert Palmer, who I'd been, I knew 10 years before the gig, would drop out and I would drop in? What are the chances of that? They play in front of the biggest audience of all time in three days and learn 30 songs. You know, it's like, you could do it. We can all do it. You know, we're all available. <laughs> don't think about boxes. They don't exist. A damn good advice. Your latest gig you mentioned is on Little Steven's Underground. Little Steven, of course, from Bruce Springsteen's band. It's a wonderful radio show. It's sort of what some of us of a certain age growing up used to hear on the radio. You, you've got such a wide berth of music. You're very knowledgeable about it, and you'll tell stories about it. Could you give our listeners one more time the time slots and where they can listen to that? 
Oh, by all means, uh, Little Stevens Underground Garage is the greatest rock and soul radio station in the world. And that's a quote from Stevie Van Zandt, who is keeping rock and soul music alive for youngins. I would say out of the 5 million people that listen to me every day, I would say 75% is between 23 and 35. Now, just figure that out. Just that statistic alone will tell you how important rock and roll music is. And I predict at 22 and 23, you're going to get guitar, bass, drum, singer, tambourine. I swear to God, it's going to strip it down. In terms of when we're on, I'm on every day, Monday through Friday, on the East Coast from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. On the West Coast, same day, 9 p.m. to midnight on the West Coast. That's every day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, I'd be delighted if you listen to the show. Every DJ on that incredible radio program station is fantastic. They're telling you the truth. You know, they go deep. It's not just fast and furious and then a commercial. There are no commercials. It's Sirius XM and it kicks ass. It's Channel 21. Please join me anytime you want. I would back that thought. Michael, thank you so much for coming on with us. It's so enlightening and so uh, nice to talk to somebody with your outlook and vibe. Thank you. I, I'm so glad that your questions were perfect and spot on. I'm delighted to talk to you anytime, Stephen. The best of luck uh, in everything you do, but you don't need it. Just make it happen. All right. Thank you, Michael, and happy holidays to you and your wife and, I guess, tech support person. <laughs> Bye-bye now. All Music Movies is part of the All Music Podcast Series and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.